Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. And it has to begin from the top. The thing with culture, culture, there, there are a lot of things in life that can have uh, a pyramid, a bottom-up approach. Culture doesn't work that way. Culture always begins from the top, and then it descends. When we start getting pastors who are people who keep their word, people who have integrity, when we have politicians, when we have teachers, when we have leaders, when you have employers who keep their part of the contract and employees who do, it becomes easy for those who look up to us to emulate, to copy. You know, culture always begins from the top. And if I feel that as a nation, we are crying for people of integrity. And it must begin with leadership. I have to say that people like Kwame Nkrumah and uh, the late Professor Evans Mills showed me that it is possible to be a politician and not be corrupt. So I know that it is possible. I know that it is possible for leadership in this nation to learn mindfulness, to learn integrity. It may, we may not have been raised with it, but we truly can learn it. And once we do from the top, it will, it will translate downwards. Well, hopefully, and then I thank you. Uh, like the few of you have been joining, have joined us with your thoughts on this. Uh, Arson says, uh, our values are sank so low that you stand to be victimized for upholding positive values. I reported of a security lapse at a gold mining firm, and shockingly, I was deemed as a threat and was declared persona non grata. Also surrendered a, a money uh, found on the street to the police station, and an officer asked if I was mentally sound and didn't need the money. Um, what are some people saying on this? On, yeah. on our many So I have this one, Evans, from Michael and in Tumwe. He says, Evans, to know how corrupt the Ghanaian society is, please ask the driver the number of his colleagues who called him to insult him oh, for yeah. returning the money. Oh, absolutely. I'm sorry, a lot of us say, you know, like, yeah, go on. Well, he says, well, that would give you an idea of how corrupt probably uh, we mm -hmm. are. There's another one here um, from uh, one of our gentlemen. He says, indeed, the tax driver has done well and should be celebrated. I live in Israel and once left my $400 passport and other valuable items and never got it back again, even though I had my traceable information uh, on it, which could have been simpler for the driver to be able to return it, but that was not done. So he says, thumbs up to the taxi mm -hmm. driver. Another one, he says, a lady at the GFE rejected money as the bribe, as bribe that was given her in the Anas investigative piece, but she was never celebrated. Well, we should go back and give the, uh, watch the video and give her some mm -hmm. and thumbs up. That's what he's asking us to do. This is from Jonas from Lashibi, and it's the last one we have here That's is uh, from Sami in Kumasi and says, if the politicians know how to celebrate an honest person, uh, why themselves? Um, why are they not, themselves well, why they honest? not honest? Okay. That's an interesting take yeah, on the matter. Uh, enjoy the rest of hearing people. Thank you, Reverend. Uh, thank you, Nana Manasseh. Stephen Enti, who joined us earlier. Um, Imbebo, who connected with Abu Dhabi and killed of us who are lost earlier. This whole issue of people. This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. 
BBC Sounds, music, radio, podcast. This is the Football Daily with Steve Crossman. We're inside Villa Park where the scoreboard to my left-hand side reads Aston Villa 1, Liverpool 2. We have witnessed a really, really good late-season game despite the, the lateness of the hour. It's still quite warm here inside the stadium. And actually, it was one of those games where even in the bleak midwinter, the football would have kept you nice and warm. It was a fantastic game. Uh, lots of Brazilian influence in the, the stand-away to my left-hand side. There is one sole Brazilian flag being waved left and right by an Aston Villa fan, although it was certainly one of Liverpool's Brazilians, Alisson, who had a lot to say on the result. Great performance from him as Liverpool move level on points with Manchester City, having played 36 games. City have played 35. Clearly, they are big favourites to retain the Premier League title, John Murray, but Liverpool can only do what they can do, and tonight they did it. Well, Steven Gerrard warned his old club that it wouldn't be easy, and he was as good as his word. Watkins had already gone close before Douglas Luiz followed up his own saved header to shoot Villa in front in the third minute. But with shades of last season 7-2 here, they went hammer and tongs at each other, and Joel Matip stabbed in an equaliser within three minutes of Liverpool going behind. Villa gave as good as they got. Liverpool lost Fabinho to injury in cup final week. Thiago and Salah were sent on as substitutes in the second half, but it was Sadio Mane who got the all-important second Liverpool goal, a clever little header in the 65th minute. They did still need Liverpool, their goalkeeper Alisson, to make important saves from Danny Ings. It was that tight, and no wonder Steven Gerrard went over to Alisson and shook his hand on the final whistle. But Liverpool had to win, they did win, and they're back level on points with Manchester City at the top, although, of course, they have now played one more game. So we've got John Murray with us. We have Jonathan Woodgate with us inside Villa Park and Don Hutchison as well. Don, it just felt like one of those games where the big names made all of the big moments. You had two big Alisson saves, a couple of huge Van Dyke tackles, and then that lovely flicked finish from Sadio Mane to win it. Yeah, totally agree. I never, I never felt tonight that Liverpool had any control of that game until Thiago came on in midfield. I thought Diaz was amazing. He was brave. He was aggressive. He wanted the ball to his feet. Alisson had to produce one or two big saves in the second half. I think Villa deserve a lot of credit. I thought Danny Ings and Ollie Watkins up front were sensational. Um, but that's a win that you see at the end of the season. I remember playing in a game, Steve, in 1995, and it was the last day of the season playing at West Ham. And we stopped Man United winning the league. And it was when Blackburn won the league. And we played out of our skins that day. And Fergie, quite funnily, hammered us. He went, this lot are a disgrace, the way they've played today. Because they've turned up for one game of the season. And in effect, he was partly right. Because when I watched that Villa team tonight, and I'm not saying they're a disgrace, I'm just comparing it slightly to what we done at West Ham. And Stevie G will be saying to the players, I guarantee you, at the end of that game, in the dressing room, he will say to his group of players, if you play like that every single week, from match day one till 38 next season, they've got a chance of being in the top eight next season. Because they were absolutely brilliant tonight, Villa. But Liverpool needed some big performers. I totally agree with what you're saying there, Don. And if you if you look at it, you're totally right. But I do have to say that the, the performance for me tonight on the Liverpool team was Van Dijk. He was extraordinary. Yeah. Constantly in the right place at the right time. Wins 1v1 duels. I just think, where would Liverpool be without Virgil van Dijk they wouldn't be up where they are now he is the ultimate yeah, centre-back if you can describe any centre-back if you can make any centre-back in world football with all the ability he has it he has everything and I thought tonight watching him he was exceptional well watching like you Rolls-Royce watching him yeah, he is a Rolls-Royce he is a pure Rolls-Royce to, to be honest, Don, the only thing better than watching Virgil van Dijk, I think, might be watching Jonathan Woodgate watch Virgil van Dijk. Because yeah. you, you were borderline in awe. So, so you know, top centre-back to top centre-back, what do you most admire about him? When you watched him tonight, what was the thing that just makes you go, God? He just never panics. He's always in control of the situation. He never makes rash decisions. He constantly stays on his feet. You can see him constantly barking out orders but never rushed, never flustered, makes the right pass, the, the right tackle. He's, a, just, he's so good to watch. The, the 
example of that, wasn't it, was when Coutinho actually got away from him, mm, yeah. and yet he was still able. I was saying to you during the game, how how has he managed to get back into that position? I actually, at first glance, saw Coutinho was running a bit running a bit of quicksand, but it wasn't. It was the pace of Van Dijk. He eats up the ground. He has extraordinary uh, change of pace when sometimes you don't see someone moving, but he's moving at a rate of knots. He's got that change of gear from first to, to fifth, and he eats up the ground. A sensational display for me. Don, can I uh, ask you just what you were saying about Villa there as well, you know, saying <laughs> to put in a performance like this. Do you, do you have a feeling that what we've seen here tonight will, will become more of a, uh, a, a permanent style Aston Villa performance under Steven Gerrard on into next season? It has to, John, because... You know, Steven Gerrard as a player and as a manager, he sets the standards really high. He sets the bar really high. And if you're a manager, if you're Stevie G watching that performance and you're proud of your team and you've, you've took Liverpool, the machine that Liverpool are, the winning machine that they are, the standards that Jurgen Klopp set over the last four or five years, you watch your team unlucky not to take points, if not win against Liverpool. So I thought Villa were brilliant. He'll say to his players after the game, right, don't let them standards drop. We want to perform... We want to finish the season well. He'll be looking at recruitment in the summer. He'll know the areas that he needs to bring players in to try and tweak and to try and get Villa into a better situation. But the individuals that play tonight, he'll be thinking, you need to do that every week. Because if you do that every week or close to every week, we've got a right chance next season. I think, Jonathan, that was my, my main Villa takeaway of the evening is for next season... There is such a, a solid base there. They have got creative players. With a summer of recruitment, you know, that they've got to be a team that we're going to be talking about next season as having European qualification as the aim. Yeah, that is that will be the aim, I'm sure. I'm, I'm positive. And if they get the recruitment right, like they did in the January transfer window under Steven Gerrard, I mean, they've been linked with, with different players. But like you say, they have a base of a of a really good really good team John McGinn in, in midfield I, I loved his performance tonight I had the energy left foot creative covers the ground what what you want in a in a centre midfielder but they have a lot of ingredients there to be a very good team moving forward for next season um, I want to talk about Alisson and I mentioned him right at the top just because I happened to see a Brazilian flag in there in the stand but um, John Murray you, you rather wistfully mentioned Spaghetti Junction during commentary it, it was Spaghetti Legs from Alisson at one point in the first half when he nearly fell over the ball but I thought it was funny that the first thing that happened after that was they got him the ball back and then what 50 minutes later he's making two absolutely vital saves yeah as we've seen I think in, in every competition that he's played this you know he's He's played his his part. He's one of your he's one of Jurgen Klopp's absolute bankers, isn't he? In terms of uh, the when he turns to his senior men, the the players, you know, however many trophies they win this season, you, you know, I'm sure in his quiet moments he will be he will be saying that uh, you know that goalkeeper is one of the best buys that that they've made in the time that he's been manager. If you see him in 1v1 situations as well, he, he's the one, again, never panics, makes the right decisions. And you could see when Ings went through, well, twice went through, he made important saves. But what I like about Alisson as well, he, he doesn't get flustered, he makes a mistake, but then he'll still demand the ball again. Some people will, because of the, the pressure of the situation, and now will hide and won't want it again. But Alisson will get back on it and start dictating from his position and start to make them play again. And as you said to me last week, when uh, when we were in Madrid and we were talking about Liverpool, in fact, you know, remember they were struggling to get into the Champions League places last season when Alisson scored that goal to uh, to win the match at West Brom, and now this season they're in the Champions League final. Sort of answers your question of where they'd be without Virgil Van Dijk, by the way, because we did see it, didn't we, when he was injured for so long? Yeah, I think some at a point last season lost six out of seven games. I mean, that, that is an, an incredible stat. And it just shows how important Van Dyke is to that team. In that team, what for me, I just wish he'd been around in the Premier League for many years. I know he went to Celtic, then he came to Southampton, but I just hope I would just wish that he was in the in the Premier League before. If you know what I mean, they had more more appearances in the Premier League. But for me, he's he's the best I've ever seen. Thirty years old, yeah. but you and I have watched Thiago Silva this season at 37, I think he is. Thiago Silva yeah, 36, yeah. 37 yeah. Can't remember. and you know and, and 
I hope he stays round till he's 37, Van Dyke. Well, I think 40 is the new 30, isn't it, when it comes to any professional athlete? It's because players these days look after themselves so well and they have all the stuff behind the scenes, all the nutrition, how to recover properly. They all listen and they all do that. And that'll keep them playing for God knows how many years, but the longer Virgil van Dijk's around, the better. I actually think one of the best things done about this game tonight was just, you know, watching when you and it was difficult to take your eyes off what was happening on the pitch, but then it was also difficult to take your eyes off Steven Gerrard and Jurgen Klopp, who um, who gave the fourth official Andy Madley. I, I think he will go to sleep and dream of those two people, or have a nightmare of those two people <laughs> on either side of him, bellowing in his ear. But the the ferocity of that and the passion of it was was fantastic. Yeah, I don't know about your comms position. I don't know if you were behind Jurgen Klopp or on the opposite side of the pitch, but I was obviously watching the game and the cameras kept panning on Steven Gerrard, but more so on Jurgen Klopp, especially the last 15 minutes of the game. And Jurgen Klopp was going ballistic. He was a stressed man. He was having to go at Jordan Henderson. He was having to go at Naby Keita. He was fuming at the back line because he knew, he knew how important the 2-1 win was. It would have been... It would have been such a shame because the point against Tottenham is still a good point because Tottenham are Tottenham and we've seen what they can do. So even though it felt like, in his words, he said it felt like a funeral when they drew against Tottenham. If they had a drew against Villa tonight, it would have just all went a little bit flat. The fact that they were winning 2-1 and the cameras were panning on him, he was desperate because he knew his team didn't really have control of the game because Villa was so threatening on the counter-attack and was so busy and lively and he was desperate for the final whistle. I think that's what top managers give as well, don't they, to be honest. I think that they always want more from the players. Even the top players, that can always squeeze them a little bit more to get more energy or more desire or more character of, of, of a game. And this was a big game. And you could see how quick um, Villa started. And you could see Klopp getting a high rate and he just wanted more from his team. But I noticed that as well. Even with Van Dijk, he was going crazy with Van Dijk. I think it was the only time I saw Van Dijk flustered when Klopp was having a go at him. If there is a, a negative for Liverpool tonight, Don, it's that um, it's that Fabinho, uh, I believe the stock phrase is hobbled off in the first half. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a blow, a massive blow, but I, I don't think it's going to be a bad one. I think it's one of them where it looked to me like it was under a lot of pressure and the first 20 minutes of the game was incredibly shaky. I've never seen Fabinho give the ball away that much. Now, I'm not suggesting that he sort of held the white flag up and wanted to come off, but he looked under a little bit of stress, and he might have felt something. Hopefully, it's not a hamstring, because if it's a hamstring, he's got no chance. But it wouldn't surprise me if he's fit for the FA Cup final. He, he, he walked off, um, and he... It's a tricky one, because obviously, we're no doctors. You can't analyse what you... What, you know, they'll know inside the dressing room how bad or how serious it is or if it's any good. But I've got a funny feeling he'll be OK. I think he'll shake it off. I think because we can't, we can't diagnose it. And I think, that you know, the three of us in the in the, the commentary box here, we were watching him walk off the pitch at half-time and trying to sort of gather how how easily or not he was work, walking. But that's not... It's not really the point, I suppose, Jonathan. It's about the anxiety of Liverpool fans. And we could see it, you know, we were getting texts during the show from Liverpool fans about Fabinho. And it just shows, you know, as soon as he starts hobbling a little bit, it's a source of great anxiety. Yeah, because he's such an important player for Liverpool. And you could see Jurgen Klopp was taking no risks. They realise they've got the FA Cup final, the Champions League final. And to be honest, they've got a top player coming on in Jordan Henderson as well. I know he plays slightly different position to Fabinho. Fabinho's more anchor. Uh, Henderson's more of an eight, but Henderson can do a good good job in there. But he just brought up precaution, I'd say, more than anything. What do we think the uh, the Liverpool front line will be for the FA Cup final? <laughs> Who's going to start I think that one? Diaz, Mane, Salah. Yeah, yeah, same. yeah, yeah. It's interesting that it's that easy. Is that? I mean, it feels ridiculous to not have Jota in it. I think we can probably say Firmino isn't for now in the in the first choice front three. No, on the bench tonight though, but. But I think it would be that front three, wouldn't it? Which just, so. which shows what Diaz, what an impact Diaz has made, really, to to be uh, in that position. And that Mane can play in that nine position and yeah. drop deep. I mean, he's made a big difference in there, playing playing in that area too. On Sadio Mane, Don, it, it has occurred to me that, and I think this probably just tells you everything about Mo Salah, as opposed to telling you that much about Sadio Mane. But we've had a lot more conversation and there's been a lot more talk about Salah's contract expiring next summer 
Then they asked about Mane's contract, which also expires next summer. Yeah, I think he's super important, me. I think he's one of them, Mo Salah. When I watched him sort of through lockdown and he, again, for his standards, he was having a tough time and he wasn't playing particularly well and he was out of form. And I can remember saying at the time, he's the type of player, and there's not many, when they're going through a bad period and when they're out of form, you play, you play Sadio Mane because you're form, where some players, you look at them, you think, oh, they're not playing well, they might need a rest. Mentally, they might be a little bit tired, a little bit shot. Mane is different. He's, he's like hard as nails. He's like, he's never injured. He wants the ball. He can run. He's strong. He's good in the air. Defender's nightmare because he's sort of like quite wiry. And he can, he can, he, he, Jonathan playing against him, you might bounce off him every now and again. And he might get done, you might get done by a little elbow or a little knee or something going on because he's so, so good. And his attitude's amazing. He's, he must be, for Jurgen Klopp, just an absolute dream. He's never a problem. No, he's, he's a manager's dream. And then you add Diaz to that as well. <laughs> Imagine playing against them two. Them two are both up front playing against you. Just incredibly difficult both to play against. But like you say, that Mane contract thing, it has gone under the radar. And I'm sure a lot of clubs will be analysing that. And you, Bayern Munich, Madrid, I'm sure they're all looking at the situation that Mane and Salah find themselves in. This is a good stat, Don. Liverpool are only the second team in Premier League history. Sorry, John, I know football existed before the Premier League. It's just what it says here. All right. Liverpool are the second team in Premier League history to have three players reach 15 or more goals in a single season. The second ever. That's Mane, Salah and Jota after City's title-winning team from from 2013-14, well, Torre, Aguero and Dzeko. I can do you better than that. Because, I'm sure you can. I wouldn't doubt it. Because the fact that all three of them, Salah, Mane and Jota, have gone past 20, it's only the third time that three players have done that in a season in Liverpool's entire history. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you, Take you, that. You've decided not to drop the mic, but you could have done, John. You could have done. Oh, I thought that was somebody coming in, but it's not. I think it's just some kids walking past the microphone somewhere inside Villa Park. Um, th- there is one negative Villa talking point that, that I wanted to get into, Don, and, and I really... I almost don't want to mention it because th- this player is a particularly lovely person to interview. But stand by. Forget that. We're going to go down to the touchline and join Juliet Farrington. Jürgen, thanks for joining us. Um, wasn't much in that. And Aston Villa, as we all thought, pushed you all the way. How did you say it wasn't, wasn't much in that? Wasn't much in that. It was a tight game. Oh, <laughs> of course it is. Um, of course it is, yes, and it's true. Um, Imola had obviously a better start in the game. We needed time to, to, to find our feet a little bit, to realise how we can cause them problems. Um, and, um, and before we... Thank you. If, thank you very much. Before we found pretty much, in the, probably in the game, it was already 1-1. So, um, but last 10, 15 minutes from the first half, we, we really started controlling the game. Um, didn't lose the balls anymore in, in, in these decisive areas. And from that moment on, it was then really became really difficult for Aston Villa. And um, yeah, scored a second and brought it over the line. Um, and obviously, I couldn't be more proud of the boys because with the schedule we have, it's massive. How much of a setback with the injury to Fabinho? It looked like mm. it was an injury. Is that is that a cause of concern for you right now? Yeah, like all situation, all all injuries in in that moment um, during the season of course um, he's rather positive I'm not sure what I, what I can make of that so we have to wait for a further assessment and, and, and a quick one on Andy Robertson as well because I know we spoke Robert's on fine. Saturday no, with a head injury and everything he's fine no, is yeah, it? yeah yeah, yeah Robert's yeah. fine he got just a day off um, and staying at home with the family for once at least so he will be fine so everything now set in terms of recovery because obviously you go again this weekend but obviously there's a, there's a cup at stake yeah 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 of course, uh, massive, uh, massive for us. So we will be ready until Saturday. But now it's definitely recovery time. Um, Analyze time for the coaches. Even we played Chelsea already a lot of times this season. Still um, necessary. And then from Thursday on, we will 
try to help the boys with the right information so we pay for this game. Thank you for your time, Jürgen. Thank you. Jürgen Klopp live with Juliet Farrington. It sounds absolutely shattered, Jonathan, and I'm not surprised. A bit like me and John. <laughs> he hasn't that, he hasn't that there. <laughs> I, I don't think he'd fit in here either, by the way. I know. I three in here. It is tight. It is tight. Um, I'm, I'm going to pick up on, on where I was, Don, on... Um, on Villa, and it's, it's Tyrone Mings, who, great interviewee, he's obviously still got the armband at, at Aston Villa, but Steven Gerrard hasn't sort of come out and given him the, the backing about being a, a long-term captain. He did he did have a couple of errors, particularly over the first goal tonight. If you were a player and, and your manager was basically not saying, oh, yeah, yeah, this is my captain going forward, you're probably not going to worry about the captaincy as much as you're going to worry what does that say about me in the round? Am I in his plans? Because I'm not sure he did himself any favours tonight. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think I think with Tyrone Mings, I think he's a solid pro. I think he's a good player. Um, I don't know. I don't think he's aggressive enough. I don't know. If, I, Jonathan might obviously know the position better than I do. I think he's very. I think he's very good. I think he's very calm. I don't think there's any panic in him. He likes to tackle. He's quite aggressive. You see, with Naby Keita, he got involved in a little rumble. He's, he does that quite a lot throughout the season, so you, you might find it difficult to play up against him. Um, whether Stevie's looking for a better standard of player, someone that's better on the ball or more dependable, I'm not sure. Um, but I think he's the type of guy that I think you'd want around the dressing room. Yeah, I think Mings is a, is a good captain. He looks like he's leading. To be honest with you, when you look around the Villa team, who else is a, a captain on the pitch for them when you, when you, when you look at it? McGinn? Maybe McGinn, but there's not many more. So I'd say maybe Tyrone Ty, Mings is the is the right choice. But I'm sure Stephen will make that in, in the future or when, whenever he wants to make the decision. I don't think there's no need to change that any time soon. I think he does a good job. I, I suppose the reason I'm asking the question now, Jonathan, and it's as much about his place in the team as it is him having the captaincy, is that presumably what is happening right now is that every one of these Aston Villa players are auditioning for next season for when Stephen Gerrard makes a lot of changes. Yeah, that's 100% right what you say, but I think he'll be one of the mainstays in that team. I think he stays in that team. I think him and Cons are a decent partnership at the back. I think they might bring someone else in for a bit more depth to maybe push them a bit further, but I think Ming stays in that team for next season. Don? I think he stays around the squad. I think I think Stevie will look at that position and think Konza needs someone alongside him. I think Konza's a bright young player, but he's uh, not mature enough yet, but you can see the talent in him. Um, and Tyrone Mings, I think, is a leader. He's a quiet, but he's a leader. So I think you'll probably look... I think you'll look in that position. Uh, that's why I mentioned Bremer at the start of the show. As I said, who was at Torino, who's really aggressive, big, strong, wins his duels, wins his first headers, doesn't really get done for pace. So I think there's an upgrade that can be made. Did, did you say you've recommended him to Stephen Gerrard? Is this you telling us you're a scout for... Uh... No, 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 not at all. No, no. Okay. we just had a little text conversation, and I just said if you're, you know, if you're if you're looking for players, have a little. I, I do, I do it with quite a few managers that I know. I just drop my text and say, seen this guy tonight, he's amazing. I've done it with David Moyes once or twice, but Bremer's the one where if you get a chance to watch him in Serie A, he's at Torino at the minute, and he is absolutely sensational. I, he I think, is absolutely brilliant. I think I'm right in saying he is actually named after Andy Bremer as well. So you do have to be, and even he's Brazilian, you've got to be pretty good, Don. Oh, he is good. And he's not a David Luiz Brazilian. He's hard as nails Brazilian. Fair enough. That's that's all you need. (laughs) Um, Right. uh, Just before we move on to Erling Haaland, let's hear from the Aston Villa manager here, Stephen Gerrard. Stephen, that was a really, really good contest. Not much in it at all. And, And yeah, you pushed them all away. We did, and um, I, I agree. It was a, it was a great game of football. Fantastic to be involved in. It was high level. Liverpool played some good stuff, but we certainly didn't let anyone down tonight. I'm so proud of my players what they've given to the game. I'm disappointed with a couple of goals and the outcome of the game. Of course I am, but I don't think the players could have given me any more. They, they, they tried to carry a game plan out to the best of ability. Disappointing not to keep the lead once we started the game ever so well. We never kept the lead for long enough. And um, we've obviously had a disappointing moment for the second goal, but I think outside of that, the players have been magnificent for me. I think the energy levels, they, they were off the scale tonight. Um, were you frustrated, though, by some of the decisions and not wanting to get you into, a, into any trouble? But there, there's letting things go and letting things go, aren't there? And you could see it was just simmering along and it was winding up the crowd as well as, as, well as yourself and, and in the technical area. 
Look, uh, look in, in, we, we, we don't want to uh, be, be sour losers or anything like that, but I, I, think, I think that performance should be looked at. That's all I can say on it, really. Um, I think it was clear, uh, certainly in the first half, I think the performance needs to be looked at. That's all I'll say on it. And in terms of going forward, if you could do that every week, do we just see a glimpse of, of Villa, the, the coming of Villa, the coming of what you're trying to do, trying to build for next season as well? Yeah, I think you could see clearly tonight the side that I'm trying to build. Um, we know we need to improve in certain areas. I think that's normal when you take over a team like we, like we have. It takes time. But I think you're seeing a performance full of fight, uh, full of heart, full of desire. I want my teams to be tough to play against. I think the crowd are magnificent. I think we fed off each other tonight. And we've just come up a little bit short, but a lot of positives to take moving forward. And um, we know there's a bit of a gap to the top sides in the world, of course. I think that's normal. We're Aston Villa at the moment. We know we need to strive to get better and improve. But I'm going away tonight with, with a lot of positives and that's a good place to be in. That's the benchmark, isn't it? I think so. If we can replicate that consistently here at Aston Villa, I don't think many teams will want to come and play against us. I think Liverpool found it hard at times tonight and um, we've been more than a match for one of the best teams in the world, so I'm really proud of that. This is the Football Daily with Steve Crossman. Manchester City confirmed today that they have agreed a deal to sign Erling Haaland from Borussia Dortmund. They have said that personal terms still need to be finalised, John, but I, I think the feeling is very much they've got their man. Yes, that's, uh, we understand, going to be sorted out over the next few days, the, uh, the wages and the contract. But, yeah, the deal is effectively done. He had his medical in Belgium yesterday, so that's been sorted out, that's been passed. And actually, the word from our connections at Manchester City say the fee is actually 60 million euros, which is about, well, just over 51 million pounds. It's not all payable up front. It's going to be a five-year contract with no additional year option. Many of the current contracts do have that written in, that possibility of an extra year, but it's five-year contract. Wages understood to be something in the region of £400,000 per week, which is on a par with Kevin De Bruyne. And that's significant as well, because, you know, how Jonathan, you know footballers, it's all important, <laughs> isn't it? Who's, getting, who's being paid most? Uh -huh. and, and so Kevin De Bruyne there, so there is that feeling he, that, that he's not going to be outstripping Kevin De Bruyne in terms of the wages. And, and City have actually, again, made it known that they feel that his current market value is something in the region of £200 million. Pounds. That's, what they're, that's what they're saying they feel would be his, his value on, a, an, on a, effectively an open market. And from his point of view, Holland's point of view, things that attracted him to Manchester City, the prospect of going for multiple trophies and, and winning multiple trophies over multiple years. Guardiola, obviously, is a factor in that as well. We know, don't we, that he is a manager with a track record of improving players. And also, he's playing for his dad's old team, Alfinger or Holland. Uh, Manchester City player. Another little incident making me feel old. The fact that I commentated on his dad now will be commentating on, on the son playing in the Premier League next season. But I think just generally, you know, certainly for Manchester City supporters, but I think more widely, you know, just a, a really exciting signing because of the prospect of us. We're going to be sitting in places like Villa Park here and watching him play and showing us what he can do at the age that he is. It is one of the most eye-catching transfers, probably, probably the transfer of the summer. You say it right as well there, John. Still only 21 years years old. I mean, what a deal for Manchester City and that price. 200 million, you're right, as soon as he plays a game. 200 odd million. He's, a, he's an incredible talent. What does concern me slightly this season, he's had a few injury problems, muscular-wise. I mean, that for a, a, young, a young player, 21-year-old, is a concern. I've been there... And, and wrote that book on injuries. I've had a lot of scans, and probably more scans than games, to be honest with you, at times. But that is a little bit concerning. But he is a, an incredibly talented player. I don't think, Don, there would be many people who would argue with that £200 million valuation, to be honest. No, it's not just the £60 million, though. You know, it's going to rise. The whole package is going to be over £250 million by the time they pay agents' fees and signing-on fees as in, you know, what, what he's going to receive and his weekly wage of 400 grand a week. So it's not just the 60 million, it's quite expensive. But what they are getting is an absolute superstar. Incredible footballer. You know, he plays the game probably like peak probably Alan Shearer did when he was very young and he was big and powerful and strong and too strong for anyone else and rapid. 
got a turn of pace. But he's a different option now for City. I think the fascinating thing now, looking from a sort of pundit's eye and, and, and how you see the game, is how does he fit into the Man City starting eleven? Because he's a brilliant player, but so was Lukaku going into Chelsea. And their style doesn't quite suit Romelu Lukaku. Whether that's Lukaku's fault, whether it's the, the style of play. I commentated on Chelsea against Wolves the other day, and Lukaku had nine touches in the first half. They couldn't get him into the game. Second half, so much better. So teams, when they play Man City now, if they're not already, are going to be defending ridiculously deep. Because if teams get anywhere near the halfway line, he is ridiculously quick in behind. So all the managers are going to do their homework, they're going to do their analysis, and they're going to probably back off when they play against Haaland a good 10 yards. So his numbers, Steve, might not be as good as what people expect him to be when they see him, him hitting 40-odd 40, 40 goals a year and averages around about 25, 26 in the Bundesliga. Those numbers, like Harry Kane's numbers, might just come down a little bit because defenders are going to defend so deep against him, he's going to be coming short a lot. So that's the fascinating part. How does he fit into the Guardiola 11? Do you think last season as well, Don, with not signing Harry Kane, do you think this is now the better deal? Good question. Performance-wise performance and money-wise. And money yeah. Well, I made the mistake like I normally do on Twitter and I threw a bomb out about two, two and a half hours ago just thinking out loud and somehow my brain and my finger pressed sent on the, uh, on the Twitter. Time to us all done. Yeah, I know. No, I, I actually genuinely believe it, so I'll stand by my words because it's going to be fascinating. But I said, I'll have a small bet with anyone that Harry Kane scores more Premier League goals than Erlen Haaland next season. Oh. Wow. Premier I'll, League I'll goals. Have a, I'll have a go. I'll have a go with you. Premier League goals. Definitely. If I'm not back in management really? by then, I will because you can't bet when you're in management. Or... <laughs> so I don't want to break any rules. Listen. I got a stats guy who I worked with, Johnny Blaine, over at the Premier League, and I said, Johnny, can you send me over the last five or six years of Erlen Haaland and Harry Kane? So he sent me Harry Kane's numbers over, Premier League only, and he sent me them back from six or seven seasons ago. Well, he only sent me three years of Erlen Haaland's because that's how long he's been at Dortmund. Yeah. And you'd be surprised how very, very close those guys are in terms of their numbers. You know, they're both close to averaging Bundesliga and Premier League-wise, not all comps, but just domestically. They're very, very close on about 26, 27 goals a season. I guess, Jonathan, the, the difference between thinking Lukaku was going to score a ton of goals and he didn't, and what we think about Haaland is, maybe this has been wise after the event, but I feel like when the Lukaku deal happened, a lot of people sort of went, hmm... Great signing in terms of goals and everything, but is he the right fit for Thomas Tuchel? I don't think anybody is asking that about Erling Haaland. I don't think anybody looks at Haaland and think, how on earth does he fit into Manchester City? No, he will fit in straight away. And you can imagine the chances that he's going to get every single game. He'll, he'll fit into perfectly what Guardiola wants to do, where I'm not sure Tuchel signed Lukaku. In all honesty, I don't think he did. I don't think he had a lot of say in it. I just thought they were going to do it and they wanted to bring him in. Maybe the final piece of the jigsaw. But you can guarantee Haaland is going to fit in straight away. Jonathan, put yourself back as a player now and you're playing for Newcastle and you're playing against Erlen Haaland start the season. Are you going to be five, yard, five ten yards a little bit deeper because of who he is? Depends who my other centre-half partner was, to be honest with you. <laughs> if it was a quick one or if it was a slow one. Playing against Manchester City, I don't think you can get five yards deeper, can you? You'd no. be in the stand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's always going to be difficult to play against because he has nearly everything you want out of a centre-forward. One thing I do think he needs to improve on is aerially. I don't, think he's, I don't think he's fantastic in the air. I think he needs to improve that side of his game. Left-footed finishes, top draw, can finish with his right foot. He is an outstanding talent, but that's one thing as I one criticism say about him is early needs to improve. Uh, let's bring in a Manchester City fan then, delighted to say Rachel Hurdson has joined us. Evening, Rachel. Hiya, you okay? How do I get in on this bet, first of all, please? <laughs> well, I was going to say... <laughs> you got Jonathan or Don? I was going to say, Rachel, Don, Don's not sure how many goals he'll score and Jonathan thinks he might get injured. So how excited are you? <laughs> Listen, I think, I think I was speaking to Jonathan last week after the Real Madrid game and yeah. I was on the floor for obvious reasons. What does it mean to you to see Erling Haaland come into Manchester City? I mean, with City have signed some amazing players, Rachel, in the past. Have they ever signed somebody this high profile and uh, when I say I, high profile oh, go on yeah. go on no go on yeah. I, I don't think they have I don't think they have I think you know really when you think about sort of talent on the world football stage now in terms of you know strikers 
you look at it, Mbappe and Haaland were the, the goals, weren't they? They were the two top prizes. And we've landed one of them. So, and not only have we landed one of them, we've landed one of them at an amazing price. It's it's phenomenal piece of business as well in terms of, you know, he's only 21 now. If for whatever bonkers reason it doesn't work out, you know, we've got a huge resale value as well. So it's just a phenomenal piece of the business and the club are to be congratulated in, in getting him and he's, he's the missing piece of the jigsaw we've all been saying for so long now that obviously we've been playing with this false nine for so long the amount of times that you know we've fizz balls across the box and nobody's there on the end of it everybody loves Gabriel Jesus at City you know he is his work rate is phenomenal he, he, you know he, he runs tirelessly for the team but he's not the prolific striker that we need. And this is, like I say, it feels like the, the final piece of the jigsaw. And when you think of all the creative midfielders that we have at City and the creative midfield talent in, you know, in the likes of Mares and De Bruyne and Bernardo and Foden, you know, I mean, as much as it's a great signing for City, Harling, Harling must be chomping at the bit to want to come and play. He must have watched some of our games this season and, and thought to himself, I would score a hat in that team. And yeah, it's all come to fruition. So it's it's absolutely fantastic. Rachel, do you, do you think signing Haaland will, will get City some more fans? Because of course, at the moment, everybody supports Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, according to... Well, everybody in the media supports Liverpool. That was the point, I think, wasn't it? So, yeah, listen, it, it probably will do. You know, these are... You know, again, it's, it's a global sport. And, and like, I think... Um, we just, I just heard your programme then and I heard them saying that about how this is not just a coup for City, it's a coup for the Premier League and the fact that, yet again, this amazing product that we have is and is marketable you know, globally, it's just become even more of a phenomenon. I think it's, you know, it, it, we can't, you know, as much as people will, you know, talk about the signing fee and, and again I've already seen it you know costed over 200 million because for whatever reason we, you know, some people decided to report the overall package including five years wages I mean what you've got to remember is we've signed this guy for the same price that Man United signed for Red Bull I'll leave that with you <laughs> or, or 10 million less than Arsenal paid for Pepe that's another one that's, I, saw, uh... I saw Piers Morgan tweet that earlier on yeah, it's been going around been... Don, let me ask you this, and, and it's entirely possible I'm, I'm looking into this too deeply, and I'm sure you'll tell me if I am. But it strikes me that that maybe this is sort of the the end of any top, top player thinking of City as, for want of a better phrase, new money. Like, they tried to get Kaka. That was the first thing they did. More mm. recently, they've tried to get some other huge names. You know, they tried to go for Messi. They tried to go for Ronaldo. This summer, from what we know, they were hoping to possibly get Paul Pogba. Now they have got one of the two most wanted players in world football. Yeah, and that's because of Pep Guardiola. He's took Man City to a level where they're just incredible. The style of football is incredible. He's getting them closer to a Champions League and that just seems as though that carrot's getting bigger and he's desperate to win it. Man City fans want him to win it. And, you know, I played for Liverpool Football Club, so my allegiances are towards Liverpool. But if you said to me, you know, Man City were playing Real Madrid in the Champions League final, I want Pep Guardiola to win it because I'm a purist. And he is just an incredible manager. And like Rachel said, you know, before you even get to Haaland and you, you welcome him to the Premier League, it's amazing that the Premier League have got him. But then if you're the City players in that dressing room, and you're Bernardo Silva, Jesus, Sterling, Mares, Grealish, the Bruyne, Phil Foden, and you see Haaland come, which feels like a bit of a Galactico signing. It feels like a Real Madrid signing of probably 10 years ago when they were signing Galacticos. So the standard now at Man City, the bar's getting raised every single season. And listen, I think Pep knows exactly what he's doing, but I think deep down, I think he was probably frustrated because every time they lost a game, we were all saying they need a striker. They need a striker. And when they won 5-0 against Newcastle, they don't need a striker. He knows what he's doing. I think deep down he knows. That's why he tried to get Harry Kane last summer. He's been chasing Harry Kane for quite a while. And it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see the Champions League final between Liverpool and Real Madrid. And that's the day when Erlen Haaland signs for Man City, pictured in the City colours, the day of the Champions League final. I bet they've got something like that up their sleeve. Rachel, I, I don't know how old you are and I shan't ask, but when you first started supporting City, the first time you went to a game, imagine Clive being... Allen. Clive Allen was Clive our striker Allen. then right. when I first went, yeah. Imagine being told there will come a day when a player will pick Manchester City over Real Madrid. 
unbelievable. And, you know, it wasn't that long ago that, with the greatest of respect to him, we were targeting Billy Sharp in our transfer window. And, and that's why you have to sometimes pinch yourself and think about how far we've come as a club. Do, do you think, though, if, if, for example, that Real Madrid didn't have that iconic figure in Benzema at the minute, Haaland would have gone there? Because I do. I don't know. It's a funny one, Benzema, because all of a sudden, Benzema, listen, everybody knew he was great, but he's coming into such a rich vein of form. And does that really happen when strikers ordinarily come into the best form over 30? Probably not. So it's a bit of a weird one, but, but isn't Mbappe it to go to Real Madrid? And if he was, then how much game time would Haaland get if you've got Mbappe, Benzema and Haaland there? Maybe that was the... It, you know, went in factor into his decision making as well. I don't really care what every whatever his decision making was. He's, he's made the right choice. And that's a, that's a very but, good point. <laughs> but, but, but one thing I would say is yeah. that you know the pressure is now on Pep. You know, we, we've always spoken about this being the missing piece of the jigsaw. And don't get me wrong. You know, we've got Fernandinho leaving in the summer, so we'll probably have to think about buying a defense. You know, a, a defensive midfielder. It's not every. In. We still need to replenish the, the squad, and I think there'll probably be a couple of big names that will go out. But you know, if we don't then achieve next year, we, we haven't really got excuses. If I achieve, I mean, you know, Champions League is, is the biggie that the club really want. We know, I love, but, Rachel. Uh, I love that you don't think you've got enough depth. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> Although I absolutely take your point, and I'm you're, absolutely you're putting sure. Putting words in my mouth there. No, I didn't I'm say that. So we need to. We will be replenishing the, 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 the squad. It's natural evolution. Yeah, yeah, of course, and they, they will want to replace Fernandinho, of course. So, well, Rachel, thank you so much for for joining us. Uh, Rachel, Pleasure. who's who's a Manchester City fan. This is the Football Daily with Steve Crossman. Well, should we, should we, we've only got a few minutes. Should we have a quick chat about um, the games we've got on Wednesday nights? We've got commentaries on, on Five Live Sport. We've got Wolves against Manchester City on Five Sports Extra. We've got Leeds against Chelsea, which is obviously a particularly big game for Leeds. But given we've, we've just watched Liverpool, I mean, look, it's all very much in Manchester City's hands, clearly, Jonathan. Can you see them slipping up at all? I think they will slip up. I think they will drop points. I don't see them winning the last three games. I think either at West Ham or Wolves, they will drop points. I think with the injuries to Diaz and Carl Walker will be difficult for them to take. And I just see at this time of the season, they will drop points. I'm not sure how many points they'll drop, but I'm quite sure they will drop points. They've got Villa to play, remember, on mm. the last day, where if it, as long as it goes that far. That is at the Etihad, though. But, um, <clears throat> you know, as soon as the match finished, as soon as he came in to talk to us, Pep Guardiola, after the match against Newcastle at the weekend, he was straight on to how important the Wolves game was, particularly with the players who, who are missing. But they've still got good enough players to play in those positions, as we know. Um, and, you know, clearly I just thought, well, he's obviously going to be straight on to the players as well, as well as telling the world how important that match is and how difficult it might be at Wolves tomorrow night. And obviously they have had to deal done with without Ruben Diaz for for a long part of the, well maybe not a long part of the season for a long time quite recently. So we know they can do it. Yeah, but it's sort of the Liverpool scenario when they lost Van Dijk and players from the midfield had to had to go and play centre back and it disrupted Liverpool. So it depends if Nathan Ake is fit. He's he's a very good centre back who's in decent form the minutes that he's played. Um, it's just a knock-on effect. If you take Rodri out of the middle of the park and he's got to play centre-half and then Fernandinho goes into the middle of the park, it just disrupts him slightly. Um, so I th- I wouldn't bet, I wouldn't bet on, on Man City dropping any points against Wolves. I've seen them at Chelsea the other day. And offensively, they're very, very good. Chiquinho and Trincao, very, very good players. But defensively with Willy Bolly and Roman Saiz, you can score goals against them. It's West Ham away, Mark Noble's last game. Last game at the London Stadium this season. That's where I think Man City might drop points. I have to have a quick word on on Leeds as well, playing Chelsea. Bottom of the table looks like this. Uh, Norwich, obviously, and Watford both gone. So Leeds, 18, 34 points. Burnley, 17, 34 points. Uh, and Everton, 16th on 35 points with a game in hand. How do you feel about Leeds right now, Jonathan? Yeah, I'm worried. Um, it's that tight down them, in them areas now for the for the relegation place. I mean, both managers haven't done a lot wrong, to be honest with you. Lampard's starting to pick up wins, and now Jesse March is is going to that scenario now. But with the former Chelsea, what five points in five games? They haven't been great. They've got a a final on 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 Sun on Saturday. 
I think Leeds will beat Chelsea. Do you? Yeah, I do, yeah. Uh, quick thought on, on Jesse Marsh, Don. <laughs> done, done a good job, but I think Jonathan's not going to like me on this statement. I don't think they pick up any more wins. Oof. Do you think they're going Chelsea, down? Chelsea. I do. I do. I think Chelsea, Brighton, they're the two home games, I think, off the top of my head. And you wouldn't want to go to Brentford away last day of the season needing a win. Interesting. It's all of our opinions, Don. Going to fall out. Uh, that is it for this episode of the Football Daily. On tomorrow's edition of the pod, you will hear all the reaction to those games between Wolves and Manchester City and Leeds and Chelsea. As always, thank you so much for listening. Jill Scott's Coffee Club. Jill Scott there to no Cruyff turn. Beautiful. Hiya, I'm Jill Scott, England midfielder, coffee obsessive and dressing room joker. And you left out the second highest capped England player of all time in there, Jill. Oh, I should have put that in, shouldn't I? We're going to be chatting to some of the biggest names in women's football over a cup of coffee. Have you still got that dog that you don't get on with? No, I like him now, yeah, Norman. We had one before that called Jimmy. Thanks, so you couldn't call him like Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Nando's and ordered some chicken wings. <laughs> Jill Scott's Coffee Club. Listen on BBC Sounds. Joy 99.7 FM. Keep on listening to George, 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 George. 99.7 FM.
she said she no good love again, need it more. I tell her, baby, not again, make her fix you up.
every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.